You are listening to the Ortho Idea Podcast, where we bring you the newest trends in orthopedic technology. Tune in for engaging interviews with medical device executives, surgeons, and surprise special guests discussing new disruptive technology in the marketplace. Here is your host, Eric Anderson. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. My name is Eric Anderson, and I'll be your host today. And today we have the honor of speaking with Robert April, who's the Managing Director at Physician Growth Partners. And we've had a lot of inquiry and a lot of talk about investment banking and what's happening within our sector, whether it's orthopedics and any other vertical of different practices. So we found this would be a perfect time to talk to Robert and get his expertise and what exactly they do at Physician Growth Partners. So without further ado, how are you, Robert? Doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. You know, our space has always been, you know, it's funny in in healthcare, we're kind of <laughs> cutting edge in some levels and then not in <laughs> quite a few others. And so we've had a lot of talk about whether it be private equity or other things coming into our space or what that's going to mean looking forward. So if you can tell us exactly what Physician Growth Partners does, and we'll start off with that and find out exactly what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. So here at Physician Growth Partners, our role is really on the side of the physician practice in being investment professionals and investment advisory professionals to represent practices as they initially explore potential private equity partnership, educate their shareholders from top to bottom, from the youngest to the oldest on what these deals can look like, how they can maybe be or not be a fit for the practice in question, and then ultimately be an extension of that leadership team to represent them through that transaction process, whether that is hey, we've been speaking with a potential partner and we just don't know if we are, have negotiated the best deal and the best terms or, hey, you know, we saw practice across town or a practice that we know well out in another market has done a private equity deal. We would like to pursue one and we just don't know where to start. Our role ultimately is to first and foremost educate. And secondly, it's to represent practices through that process where we go out put together the necessary building blocks of marketing materials, financial analyses, and go out to the perspective of buyers in the universe and, and run a process in which we secure initial offers, help our clients understand what those mean, help them narrow down through what we kind of call a funnel process to really spend time with the groups that are going to be the best clinical fit and strategic fit. And then ultimately, it's our job to make sure that we negotiate the best economics while also what's immensely important for our firm is protecting clinical autonomy, right? These are not just economic transactions of widget companies. These are medical practices that have been built over, in many cases, decades by founding physicians that are focused on providing the highest level of care to their patients. And so our biggest role is helping be that advocate for a practice of what is possible in these transactions when it comes to clinical autonomy, when it comes to protecting the day-to-day practice of medicine and everything that a physician uses that autonomy and what separates them from an employee, frankly. And our big role is making sure that physicians are protected and well-represented in these transactions when it comes to that autonomy, right? Because you can negotiate transactions with private equity groups where anything that you define as autonomy is really protected. And so if you can create a transaction that is economically beneficial to the practice, to the the physician, while also putting a black box around that clinician and physician autonomy, 
you can have a really successful partnership. And so our role, since our formation and really beyond that with me and my two partners kind of practicing over the better part of the last decade representing physicians in these transactions has been being physician advocates in these transactions. And how do we make sure we're building partnerships for the future, not just a singular transaction? Well, thank you for that synopsis. And that's fantastic because it's as time has gone on the last few years, whether it be at the orthopedic academy or different neurology conferences, private equity is coming to these conferences and they're talking to surgeons and they're giving presentations. And, you know, I know I talk to a lot of my surgeon friends and kind of a little bit of a deer and headlight look when they talk about it, an excellent service. Typically, what does a practice look like or a client of yours look like? What's their makeup? So we, and one of the unique things about PGP is that we only work within the physician services space. So what that means is we don't represent med device companies. We don't represent hospital systems. We never represent buyers. Our client from the formation of our firm to today has been provider-owned businesses that see patients, build payers across the healthcare spectrum. So whether that's a dermatology practice, you know, pain management, gastro, euro, you, know, you name it. But you know, we have a big focus within orthopedics particularly. And so our typical client is anywhere from, you know, we'll do two to three doc groups on the smaller end that maybe have some nice ancillary services to we've represented 30, 40 doc groups that have ASCs and have labs and pharmacies and big PT programs. You know, we kind of range from the size perspective, but we don't range from is all of our clients are physician owned. All of our clients are independent. None of our clients are hospitals. We never represent a buyer. So that's typically, you know, who we're representing. I'd say then also our clients are not approaching a transaction as a work line. They're not approaching a transaction as, hey, we need to find someone that's going to help us be around in a few years. You know, our clients are looking at this as the next life cycle of their practice and, you know, at an inflection point of, hey, we're growing. We have added a couple of docs potentially. You know, our ancillaries have are profitable. Maybe we're feeling some reimbursement pressures, but really we're looking at this transaction as we're approaching it from a position of strength. That's a common misconception as well, is that groups that look at private equity are looking at it as a lifeline. And I would strongly dispute that every one of our clients is doing it from, we're in a very good place from a strength perspective. We could continue operating as we are today, but we actually see this as a really interesting and creative opportunity for us to be more competitive over the next five to 10 years. Gotcha. Well, thank you for that. And so the number one question I get from surgeons that I talk to is, why would I even look at this? Why would we do this? I'm going to make up numbers here. We're a five surgeon group. We're doing really well. I mean, our ASC is really doing well. Why would I even care? Why would I even look at this? And that's the number one question we get. And obviously there's answers to that question. Yeah. Yeah. I think, look, the exact answer for why each group does private equity is different, right? Mm -hmm. The motivators that every group has are going to be unique to them. There's some groups that look at it as, hey, maybe we've got some retiring physicians on the horizon and we're in a more difficult market to recruit. And we want to make sure that we can continue to be competitive from a recruitment standpoint in the marketplace and having private equity and some of the interesting dynamics that uh, they offer when it comes to getting equity in the younger physician's hands sooner rather than later, doing it in cheaper ways. Because obviously buying into orthopedic practice has never been more expensive today for someone coming out of residency than 10, 20 years ago. So maybe groups look at it that way and say, hey, this allows us to have a competitive edge when it comes to recruiting younger providers. 
Some groups look at it and say, hey, yeah, maybe we have an ASD, but there's other things that we could be doing, whether it's new locations, whether it's acquiring smaller practices in our market that could be really profitable when you kind of build density within our local market that we would love to do. We've always talked about, but we're five practicing physicians full time and we go home at night. We want to spend time with our families. We don't want to spend time you know, figuring out how we're going to finance add-on acquisitions and surveying new locations to put, you know, satellite facilities in kind of adjacent markets. So they look at this as saying, hey, we've got a lot of ideas. We just don't have a lot of follow through on actually developing those ideas and bringing in a private equity platform that can help us execute on those things in a much expeditious manner can be really interesting to us. Others look at it, you know, a little bit more of a defensive play. Maybe this are putting pressure on them and they kind of look at the next five to 10 years saying, hey, Scale is what's going to make practicing medicine easier, right? Practicing medicine tomorrow is going to be more difficult than today. In order to combat some of those reimbursement pressures I, I talked about, that's why ancillary services are so important today versus, you know, 10, 15 years ago is that allows the practice to continue to be as profitable and physicians to continue to make as much money today as they did yesterday, right? And so in order to support a lot of those ancillaries, you need density, you need more providers. And so creating that density and that scale in a market can be a lot easier when you have a team and you have a partner that's going to help execute on those things, not too similar from what I just mentioned from some of the growth initiatives. So they look at it as an opportunity to create a competing network of physicians in a market that can compete with the hospital system, but can do it more successfully because you are still physician-owned, physician-led, focus on that autonomy that I kind of started things out with. And so groups look at this as an opportunity to create a competing scaled platform to the hospital system in their market. I think those are kind of the three biggest ones. You know, economics is obviously something, but I would tell you that the economics in a transaction are less interesting to a younger physician that has 20 years left to practice than, you know, obviously an older physician within five years is going to look at it and think it's a pretty good deal. But for the younger physicians, in the middle of their career physicians, I would say, you know, those reasons that I just gave are, are the primary ones and the economics at closing are kind of secondary because frankly, how you position the practice over five to 10 years is a lot more important than, you know, any sort of transactional result kind of at day one. Gotcha. Well, and that's whenever I'm kind of sitting in my doing different talks with different surgeons that we're having different discussions, they always kind of mention that, you know, why would we do that? So thank you for answering that. And I think, you know, one of the other questions that always comes up is, you know, you talk about private equity and people say, if I'm going to do the private equity route, I want to go with a private equity firm you know, has some of the standards that I want, you know, some of the different things that they're looking at. And so do you guys also have the opportunity to vet these private equity firms that are looking at your clients? Exactly. So a big piece of what we do, and it kind of fits with some of my comments around autonomy and cultural fit early on is we help our clients make sure that they're selecting the right partner. And what does right partner mean? Right? It's very different for the group that we work with in Texas, Ohio, DC, right? It's what is your viewpoint on culture? What is your viewpoint on the practice of medicine? What is your viewpoint on how is medicine changing, right? If you're partnering with a group that thinks that putting a bunch of small satellite locations with mid-levels working out of them and kind of an urgent care model, and that's the focus, 
you want to find a platform that kind of believes in that as the kind of the future of your practice. If it's, hey, no, we want to stay super local. We want to have an ASC. We want to build physician density. We want to have fellowship trained physicians working in every modality. That's how we focus on it. And you want to find a provider that views the world the same way, or find a partner, I'm sorry, that views the world the same way. And so one of the things that we do is work extensively with our clients to make sure that we're putting these potential partners and these buyers in a position where they have to answer for those things before you sign a letter of intent, before you commit to partnering with them, right? You don't want to learn what baggage they have when you're engaged or married. You want to learn about it when you're first dating, right? And so it's a focus on whether it's questionnaires, whether it's meetings and presentations, whether it's making sure our clients are educated on the right questions to ask, right? Because a lot of times our clients, they don't even know what questions to start asking when it comes to strategic fit and cultural and clinical approach from some of the buyers. And so making sure, again, simply listing questions and getting them answered by the buyer before meetings. So that way our clients can come in informed and can point the questions around already being kind of informed on positions taken. It's running a full reverse due diligence process on each of these potential partners on behalf of our client. And it's not us operating on an island, right? It's us working alongside our clients so that when they do get to the finish line and ultimately consummate a transaction with a potential party, they're doing it eyes wide right? Our entire goal is to make sure that there is zero degrees of separation between the leadership physicians and the younger physicians, right? We want to make sure that if it's a 10 doc group, we have 10 well-informed, eyes wide open doctors at the finish line. And that's everything. That's the financial strength of the partner, right? That is how they view growth, how they view their partnership with the practice as far as decision-making on the day-to-day versus uh, high-level kind of board-level decisions. It's how do they view the future of medicine and where do they think it's going so that there's alignment there. To your point, we spent a significant amount of time, not just coaching, but also data collecting and comparing. We do huge matrices for our clients, comparing the different buyers versus the different data points that we're looking at. Again, whether it's how they view day-to-day decision-making, whether they, how they look at uh, associate recruitment, just simply how do you bring a new associate into the platform and how do you view partnership track for that new associate? We stack all of those things and help our clients understand and compare so they can start to figure out, hey, these are the two or three groups that we think that we have more in common with and we view the world a little bit similarly. And hey, here are the groups that we want to put to the side and maybe aren't going to be as good of a fit for us. Well, and let's paint a scenario here. Say you have a group that uh, they've gotten called by a PE firm or they've been called by private equity or they just decide in their you know Friday meetings, hey, guys, we're going to explore this. What's the next steps for you and the potential client? So I highly recommend, and it's a self-serving comment, but I'll dull it down a little bit, is I highly recommend you work with an investment banking firm. It doesn't have to be PGP. We'd like it to be PGP, but it certainly doesn't have to be. The reality is these buyers are investment professionals. They have professionals sitting on their side that are their day-to-day, their career is built around negotiating transactions. They have a fiduciary duty to their client, to their platform, to themselves to negotiate the best deal. Right? That doesn't mean they're walking around trying to screw every physician and put lowball offers in, but it does mean that they're motivated to negotiate the best deal on their behalf. Right? So when we talk to physicians that try to say, hey, we can do it ourselves, we can pick up the phone, we can talk to them, you know, we can negotiate, that for us is always a point where we try to convey, hey, it doesn't have to be us, but it should be someone. This is the most valuable asset that you likely own as an individual is your practice. And you really only have one chance to make sure that you do this successfully. And I'm not just talking about negotiating the best economics. I'm talking about all the other cultural and clinical things that I've talked about. And unless you can run a holistic process and really survey the entire market on your practice behalf, 
there's not a strong way that you're going to know at the finish line that you've made the right decision, right? And so just like you don't walk into a courtroom without a lawyer, you don't walk into these transactions without individuals that could be your fiduciary, your representative to make sure that you're getting the best deal. And one of the things that I, you know, always kills me as an advisor is a lot of platforms will walk around and say, hey, you don't need an investment banker. We'll make sure you get a good deal. You don't need to bring an advisor in. You know, they're doing that from a self-serving perspective that they don't want to pay as much, right? It's a lot easier just to work with a doctor. But what I would challenge physicians that are getting that commentary from a platform to do is ask that platform if they'll use an investment banker when they go through a second sale. 100% of the time, platforms will use investment banking teams, not too dissimilar from PGP, when they look to sell their platform in three to five years. Private equity firms require it. It's required within their operating documents. And so if they're using it and their investment professionals and even they are using investment bankers, you know, again, I would highly encourage any physician looking at this to reach out to someone. At least educate yourself, understand the services provided by investment banking team, because I assure you that when you get further down the road, there's value to be had there by having someone in your corner. No, I think that's wonderful advice. And I have heard stories of those that have gone out on their own and probably are not very excited about the position they're in now because of that. And so that's wonderful advice. Well, let's say that a group has decided, okay, we've been contacted by three or four different PE firms. And right now we're going to have to make some decisions. Let's get some good advice. What's the next step in order to at least make contact with you? So I would reach out to you know do research on firms that focus exclusively within physician services. Again, you want to hire an advisor that does these deals left and right. They understand the nuances that representing a physician practice entails, right? It's understanding that this is not a widget transaction. There are things that go on within a practice that need to be looked after. Again, whether it's the motivators being vastly different for a physician just out of fellowship to a you know physician in the last five years of their career, understanding particularly in orthopedics, you're dealing with vastly different collection amounts when you deal with when you look at your physicians. You know, if you are subspecialty focused, you've got spine surgeons, you've got total joint guys, you know, there's going to be a difference in variance in income levels. And so how do you structure a transaction that's fair for everyone and looked at favorably by everyone is a challenge. And so if you're a group that's looking at this, I would say reach out to a firm via email. Every banking website like ourselves will have a phone number, we'll have an email. Reach out and just hear what they have to say. If you have multiple groups reaching out to you, I would tell you you're not alone. Essentially, every practice that's over five physicians out there has likely been reached out to by one or more of these parties, these private equity groups. They are reaching out to everyone. And that's not a slight to you. That's just, hey, this is happening all over the place. And so the first step is to get educated, right? Don't sign anything. Don't commit to anything. First step is really to get educated and understand the difference between these different parties that are reaching out to you. Because I assure you, if you've spoken to one private equity group, you've spoken to one private equity group. They're not interchangeable. Each of them has very different feel, culture, fit, outlook. And so you want to make sure that as you start to go down this path, you do it in a very organized manner. Because if you try to start to stage it, talk to one buyer and then do another one the next month, it's going to be very hard for you to really compare and contrast the different approaches these groups have. So you know, again, I would say... This is of interest at all and not interest. Hey, I want to do a deal for sure. But just, hey, these people are reaching out to me. I don't know what it means for my practice. Maybe they said one or two things that may be interesting. You know, the first thing is to take a step back, find a representative that you feel like you can talk to, an investment banking team that has experience that can help educate you and all of your physicians on what this can look like. And you know, they'll have lots on 
how do you handle the groups that have reached out to you? Are there others to include? They'll be able to provide a full service advisory on what to do next. Well, that's fantastic advice because, as you said, they get contacted quite often and they are uh, repeatedly. And so, and it's funny, I've heard it more and more and more in the last probably 24 to 36 months that it's been occurring at a high level. And you're seeing a lot of these large, large groups. I'm in Florida, so I've seen some of these really large groups enter into agreements with private equity. So it's here and it's the future for sure. So I was just going to add that, you know, it's interesting. Orthopedics is one of the last sectors within medicine to see consolidation of private equity investment. It's not for lack of interest from private equity. It's really from lack of interest of surgeons. The anesthesia docs, the dermatology, ophthalmology, you know, those groups were motivated to do transactions 10, 15 years ago. And you saw that happen in the marketplace over a decade ago. And today it's very hard to talk to a dermatologist that doesn't have an intimate knowledge of private equity. Orthopedics is very different where you've been more insulated. Obviously, it's a more highly profitable specialty. Docs feel very comfortable with their lifestyle and their income levels in, in this sector. And so because of that, we've been less interested, less willing, less open to you know, change. But today, I think it's becoming a lot more commonplace for these discussions to take place at conferences, like you said. And so it's catching up to some of these other specialties. And I think in the next 24 months, you'll probably be at a place where it's going to be hard to find a doctor that hasn't at least had a conversation about private equity. Yeah, it's happening all the time. We hear it just in conversations that I have and and with passerbys with different individuals, different physicians. So I got to say, Robert, thank you very much for coming on today because you've given a lot of advice that I get questions on quite a bit. And I know that there are a lot of physicians that listen to our podcast that are very interested in this topic because it's really on the forefront of everything they do. If one of our physicians has heard something today and they're like, you know what, I need to get in touch with Robert, what's the best way to do that? So you can send an email, and I don't know if we can post my email. On, on yeah, video, we can do that. Absolutely. Yeah, my email is raprilphysiciangrowthpartners.com. Shoot me an email. It'll go directly to me. I'll respond, and, and we can find some time just to chat through your situation. And, you know, Again, whether it's, hey, you don't know if this is interesting, or hey, we've actually even gone as far as starting to negotiate with a potential party, but we don't know if we're getting the best deal. I mean, we come in at all different levels of where groups are at, kind of in that learning curve and in that transaction process curve. So what we should be able to provide help at any point along the journey that you have with private equity, I'm happy to do it. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, taking time out of your busy schedule to come on. It's been fantastic advice, and I know there are going to be a lot of listeners who are going to benefit from. So again, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Robert. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was great to talk to you here and happy to come on anytime. Awesome. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Yeah, you too. Thank you for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the technologies discussed, please visit www.orthoidea.com.